All right, folks, welcome to the Florida Keys Weekly Show podcast, radio show. We go lots of places. This is Britt Myers, publisher, janitor over at the Keys Weekly Media here in the Florida Keys. Uh, always happy to bring this show to you. This is a fun one today. Also want to let you know that we air on WKWFAM 1600 and FM 103.3 on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. So if you're out there in Radio Land, thank you for that. Also on 93.7 NRG, 5 a.m. on Sunday. So if you're listening right now on those platforms, thank you. Of course, you can catch us at Keys weekly.com this podcast this show and others that we've done in the past lots of fun today we're going to be talking about something we've never brought up on the show before we're a, we're a key florida keys show it's amazing we haven't talked about this but it's none other than jimmy buffett now when you talk about jimmy buffett and the florida keys some people love him some people blame him for all the woes that ever took place down here because he commercialized it uh, most will tell you he built this place he really put a lot into it it's where he got his start some people have rumors that they knew him some have rumors that he's coming soon some said they saw him at Burger King. Some said they saw him. Whatever. Everyone has stories, but if you talk to the locals, those that lived here, lived throughout those days, there are some that have some better stories than others that really did have that relationship. So today, folks, we're talking Jimmy Buffett, uh, and I'm proud to bring on to the show Scott Atwell. Scott's the manager in communications of the outreach or communications and outreach for our Florida Keys National Sanctuary. Sorry, Scott, that's a lot. Um, but you do a lot of great things over there at the Florida Keys National Sanctuary. We all appreciate that. He's also He's been president and CEO of the Florida State Alumni Association, not one of the associations, the Florida State uh, University Alumni Association. We'll talk about that some as well with Scott today. But more importantly, today for our conversation, Scott just completed a book called Buffett Backstories, and it it goes through some very interesting things. And I won't dig too deep into it just yet because I want Scott to tell us about it. But they are Buffett Backstories. We talk about some songs. It says 50 years, 50 songs. The book just came out. It's been a huge success. I was just with my kids. Uh, I did a trip up to New Hampshire for Thanksgiving. I was at the Key West Airport, and there was a huge sign down there at the bookstore, the gift store, and there was Scott's book looking at me. I texted him and said, dude, you're huge. He said, I don't have time for you. I'm signing autographs right now. So without further ado... We have the Scott Atwell. He's with us today. Scott's been a friend of mine. We've served together in different capacities down here in the Keys. Let's start out here, Scott. First of all, welcome to this prestigious podcast. I know you have a huge background in in uh, broadcasting, in microphones, calling games up at Florida State, different areas. You have this great radio voice. It's why I've been talking so much. I want to get some words in before you start talking because your, your stinking broadcasting <laughs> voice is so good. It only exploits how bad I am. So let's start there. We're happy to have you on here. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And let me just say, it is a return to the airways of WKWF, because that's where it all began for me. 1975, I was a weekly guest on a radio sports show called Sports Pulse by Donnie Williams. It was on the fifth floor of the La Concha Hotel, because the Spotswoods owned, they still own the license, I believe, with WKWF, if I'm not mistaken. And so, because they owned the La Concha, they had the radio station on the fifth floor. And once a week, I took the city bus down. I got on the 600 block of Duval and walked down to La Concha and was on the radio. And that's how that started me on my broadcast career. So there you go. If you're listening on WKWF right now, uh, that's a spot. And of course, it is a Spotswood station. That family is very gracious and to to host us on those stations. And uh, 1975, is that right? Shortly after Jimmy Buffett arrived. All right. So Scott Atwell, you started, that was your broadcasting career. How old were you? Let's just call you out now. You're a good looking in shape silver fox. But how old were you in 1975? Uh, I would have been about 14. Okay. And so why Donnie Williams thought it was a good idea 
to allow a squeaky voiced 14 year old to come on a weekly radio show. I have no idea, but God bless him. He did it. And I don't know if I would have done it, but he did it. And it got me fascinated with the business. And there was also a a local access television station up there, Channel 5. You know, we only got five TV stations. This is all La Concha. Yeah, this is all Fifth of World La Concha. We only got five TV. This is pre, you know. Key West had the first cable in the state by necessity because otherwise you couldn't get TV from Miami. So we had ABC, NBC, CBS. We had the Channel 6 Independent. And then we had local Channel 5. So this is before TBS even made it down, right? All that stuff. That that was it. That was five stations. That's all you got. and, and this Channel 5 was there, and it looked like the real thing. They had real cameras and a real board, but for whatever reason, it only produced black and white pictures. <laughs> and so, so the output was horrible, but to, for a 14-year-old, it looked like real television, and it inspired me. I said, that's what I want to do with my life. Well, let's talk about that, because you went on to Florida State, and you became the Alumni Association president and CEO at Florida State during some huge years when Bobby Bowden was coaching up. Up there. I know you called some big games and some things yourself, uh, but going back real quick before we jump from Key West to your time in Tallahassee, uh, I do want to bring this up. You were known down here to the locals as Flash. Can you, can you tell us about that? Because of that radio station, because one of my jobs was to go to the baseball fields on Kennedy Drive and get the scores and call them into Donnie Williams. So every night I bounced from all of the press boxes to get the scores. And one of the uh, one of the official scorekeepers, a guy named Brooks Cathy, said, you know, you have all the news. You're like the news flash. Oh, I like it. Okay. And that's how the flash came about. And that became my Everyone has to have a nickname in Key West. And all that right. Was mine. Shanice, Shanice is here. She's our producer on the show. And we've had her on the show. She has lots of nicknames for me, but you cannot say them <laughs> on the radio. So. Well, you know, I have several nicknames, so it, it's not unusual to have several nicknames in Key West. It's a badge of honor. It's yeah. a rite of passage. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're down here, you make your way to Tallahassee and you become a a big voice for Seminole Nation in terms of the sports programs, the games, uh, that university. How does that come about? Well, there was an interim period there. I actually did my undergraduate at the University of Miami and worked in the athletic department. A guy named Bill Trout, who was a former football player from Key West, and he was a coach there, really changed my life when he said, I know you're interested in sports. Would you like to come up here and work in the sports information office? Changed my life. I got to do things that... uh, a a 17, 18 year old shouldn't be able to do. I was a public address announcer at the Orange Bowl. I worked on the coaches radio show. My senior year, I was actually the sideline reporter on the Hurricane Radio Network. Oh man. For the the away games because the home games, I wasn't doing the PA. So, but I knew I wanted to get into television. Miami was going to be a tough market to break in for still a squeaky voice kid, you know, and I've always looked like I was, you know, 13. You still and do. I still do. Yeah. yeah I, just, I just turned 60 but with the gray hair fools people. <laughs> so I decided to go to Tallahassee because all my buds were up there from Key West. And, and then I landed a job within three months with the local CBS affiliate and worked there for 10, 11 years and was blessed before I went to work for the university and being there in a period of time when Florida State was at the apex of college sports, primarily football, right. and got to watch the entire dynasty unfold, you know, following the every bowl game they were ever at, and, uh, you know, three national championships. And eventually, I ended up uh, going to work for the university in communications, and then somehow they had an opening for the alumni director, and they hired this guy who had a University of Miami degree. Uh, and I eventually got my master's degree from FSU and I became official. 
But you called, I mean, you were a voice uh, for a lot of different sports, not just football. You did basketball. You did different things, right, up there. Or, or not broadcast, you covered a, it. Not the play-by-play. Gene, right. Gene Deckerhoff is the famous play-by-play guy up there. He does the Tampa Bay Bucks on Sundays. When What, what happened, I think, with... But I've seen videos of you doing some coverage or covering... Oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. As a reporter. Sure. Yeah, yeah. covered everything. You you name it. I, I The only thing I didn't cover during my time, believe it or not, was NASCAR. But every I went to Masters and several Super Bowls because there was always an FSU player in a Super Bowl that you could legitimize going to the Super Bowl. Um, and then uh, I, when Gene Deckerhoff started doing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio on Sunday, he couldn't do the Bobby Bowden uh, television show on su- for Sundays. Mm-hmm. And so I started filling in for Gene a couple times a year doing the Bobby Bowden show. A lot of people still remember me from doing that because back in the day, TV coaches shows were still a thing, you know, because, you know, before internet. <laughs> well, that was the just the pinnacle of Florida football when you had Florida State, Miami, those rivals, Florida, was, uh, you know, such interesting times. But we're going to talk about your book. We've got Scott Atwell here. He just released Buffett Backstories. We're going to talk about why he did the Jimmy Buffett book. But your relationship and your time at Florida State being the alumni director, I got to ask you, you, you've got some fun stories. But since we have you on the show, best Bobby Bowden story. Well, we've, I know people love to talk about yeah. the late, great Bobby yeah. Bowden. So I think my best Bobby Bowden story comes from one Sunday. I was with him on the set doing the show and we're, we're, we, they, they rolled the tape live. So you had whenever there was a break, you actually were sitting there, you know, for two minutes. And and out of the blue one day, he, he starts telling me this story that uh, when he first started the show, technology wasn't what it was today, you know, uh, that they made four copies, physical copies of the show on tape. And at about 7 a.m., four graduate assistant coaches showed up. One got a tape and drove it to Jacksonville. One got a tape and drove it to Pensacola. One got a tape and drove it to uh, Panama City. And he's saying, you know, one day the Panama City guy didn't show up. So I said... Well, I'll drive it down there. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, here's Bobby Bowden. He he went home and got his wife in the car and drove his own videotape to Panama City, knocked on the back door and said, here's a tape for this show. And, you, you, you know, that sort of sums up the the humility of this man doesn't it you're not going to see guys leaving notre dame and oklahoma driving their own tape you know 40 miles no and i I, i'm not getting into the coaching carousel that's happening in college football (laughs) but they don't make them like bobby Bowden anymore he was so human i mean he was just a regular guy who was in this remarkable position and it was not beyond him to go drive that tape and it just said so much about him as a person, you yeah. know. I, often I have to go by his house to, for whatever reason, and when he would answer the door, he would say, you want to come on in? And he wasn't just BSing. He was serious. Yeah. You want to come in and sit for a minute? I mean, that's just the way he was. It was, you, a, bl- it was a blessing to be there during that time. I treasure it. He was loved by his players. What, who was the greatest Florida State football player you covered uh, while you were there, well, I guess you have to say Dion, you I, know, and I, I, did, I did some crazy things with Dion. Dion was a trip. Now, I mean, Dion Sanders for those listening out there. So, so there, there was prime time. <laughs> His last game was against Auburn and in the Sugar Bowl, and uh, at the time they had a receiver named Lawyer Tillman, a big, tall receiver, okay. and so. Dion in a press conference the week before, you know, week whatever, you know, leading up to the game, mouths off and he says. You tell the lawyer, Perry Mason's coming. 
and Perry Mason don't lose. <laughs> so, so I said, Dion, would you work with me on a story? He said, sure. I got him in a suit and tie and a briefcase. And we went to the FSU moot courtroom and did this whole Perry Mason thing story with the music. And I put it in black and white. And Dion walks in with the briefcase and he's got these huge gold rings. One says prime and the other one says time. And he opens the briefcase, his jersey. Anyway, I put together that. That's that the kind of crazy things I would do when I was a sportscaster. And he played along with it. Well, and we're going to talk about Scott Upwell's Buffett Backstories book, but it's hard not to talk Florida State sports. I'll tell you, we've talked about this before. Deion Sanders, by far the greatest athlete I think that's ever played sports. Uh, if not one of the top three, there's Thorpe, there's Deion, there's these people. But... Best Florida State football player I've ever seen in my lifetime. I had to sit there at a Georgia Tech game as a teenager. Yeah, Charlie Ward. And watch Charlie Ward lead this comeback. I was at that game. I've never seen a player. Line. Charlie yeah. Ward. Just a no, he is. And, and is humble. You know, I, I had the blessing of covering him in high school, too, because he was from Thomasville, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And our city of license was Tallahassee, Thomasville. So I spent a lot of time getting to you know him and his family and uh, covering him and watched that whole arc from high school at Thomas County Central to the Heisman and was there the night in New York when he won the Heisman. So it was, uh, again, it's just, uh, golly, and and looking back, it was just such a blessing to be there and and be part of it. I bet. That's amazing. You you guys only missed one player out of Thomas County. I think that was Thomas Central and Thomas County. I'll miss Sean Jones, Georgia Tech quarterback. He won the national championship with Georgia Tech that year in 1990. Well, the interesting thing is he was a rival of Charlie, and they went back and forth, right? And, And But he was on the opposite sideline that night. Wasn't he? I believe Sean. Or was I, it? Or I was it the he, other guy from from Thomas County? There was another quarterback from Thomas County who was Charlie's rival, who was the losing quarterback in that game. It might have been Sean Jones the following year, like ninety one. Okay, or maybe like that. there was another one prior to him then. But uh, I'd have to go back and look. But but good stories, Florida State. We could talk about it all day. Let's let's use the rest of our time. Scott Atwell, you've written a Buffett backstories book. Yeah. Now a lot of people write things about Jimmy Buffett, especially if you're from here or you visit here or you're a parrot head or you love his music or you go to the concerts and you pour sand out there and you sing and you <laughs> dance. I mean, it, it's, it's a culture. It really is. And, and to Jimmy Buffett's credit and his company's credit and what he does and what he continues to do, whether you're a fan or not, you have to love and respect it. It's amazing what he's accomplished, but you have some different insight inside. You are from here. So let's start out with that what what is this book about Buffett backstories 50 years 50 songs why 50 songs and and for those who haven't seen the book yet maybe interested in it tell us about the book well when I came back to Key West a couple years ago I had this idea of trying to do a a radio show of Jimmy Buffett because I'm a fan and have been since I was a teenager and uh, you know why not put together a playlist and I'd be doing that anyway, right? So let's do it and do a radio show. So I went to one of the local radio stations, the owner, he was a new guy in town. And I said, I'll volunteer. You don't have to pay me. Let's just do two hours on a Sunday. I'll even use my CDs. He said, okay. So uh, I started the show and found out that you can't really play Jimmy Buffett songs without telling the story behind the songs because it's not just music. He is a lifestyle artist. That's really what sets him apart from anyone else in the music business. He's selling a lifestyle and each one of these stories have a, well, um, songs have a story. And so I started researching the story uh, once a week, one song, I would tell the backstory. And I realized that 
this collection probably would make sense in a book. And it hadn't been done before. And as a sort of, you know, someone who thinks like a reporter, I just wanted to collect it in that format and tell the story. And uh, so started putting it together in, in book format. He has recorded over 350 songs. So am I going to do 350 backstories? <laughs> no. And it just so happens that this year is the year, the 50th anniversary of the first time he came to Key West in November of 1971. So I settled on 50 songs, 50 years and it's really, it's a collection of 50 short stories that range from 300 words to 1200 words. They can live on their own. Each, each chapter is a story unto itself. And that's how it came about. It has a real sort of slant towards understanding what Key West was like back then. Mm-hmm. A lot of historic photos when he arrived, you know, because so many of the songs were about a Key West that, well, doesn't exist anymore. And... Um, and so I included those photos to sort of have a little nostalgic feel to it as well. Who were some of the folks, how did you choose the 50 songs and who, give me a good example of some of the locals or insider knowledge, maybe a story in here that you can share on the show. Wow. So, uh, for the, the, it all starts with the radio show. So I would, uh, try to get a hold of someone who was in his past and interview them on the show. And then that would just illuminate the story. And so I took those as interviews into the story. So and for those listening, you had, you have a radio show in town and we're all one human family. It's, it's on another station, but great, great. Michael Stapleford and those guys yes, over there, yep. good people. And you've been doing a Jimmy Buffett radio show right. for a while with those guys. Yes. Yeah, since and January. It's become very popular yeah. too. Party 105.7, the Keys Party Station. There you go. Nice <laughs> plug. And uh, we're all, we're all friends Sundays from 10 to noon, the there Buffett you, Brunch Buffet. <laughs> there you go. So. But it's there. And so you're, for those listening, you're doing that show. And this this is where this is starting to come from piece by piece as you do it. So the show happened first. Book comes later. Absolutely. That's exactly the the, the, the lineage there. And uh, so, uh, it, you know, most of the really interesting ones are people who were in the band, either his tour manager, Bob Lieberman, who ended up writing the forward or people like Keith Sykes, who was there uh, when, you know, the, the song Volcano was created down on the island of Montserrat. I mean, all of that is such a big that that's a, a, a documentary right now called Under the Under the Volcano, I think is what it's called, about how George Martin, who produced the Beatles, uh, created this studio on Montserrat. And that's where, you know, Buffett and them recorded that. And, and it just it's it's natural reporter instincts just asking the questions and understanding what the story was about and what the things that took place behind the scenes and 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 putting them in print how did you choose the songs i mean just 50 yeah so i guess the easiest way to is is that the ones that i could find the best information on is the, is how the, the the fifty came about? For instance, uh, there's a song called "Chanson pour les petites enfants," song for the children, song for the world, which ironically was on the Volcano album, and it was a, a song that I, I I heard was written about this young family on boats that Jimmy encountered the first time he sailed into St. Bart's, and the interesting thing is, is one of the kids grew up to be a reggae singer named Mishka Frith. And I said, well, I got to get a hold of Mishka Frith. And I tried and tried and tried and tried. And somehow out of the blue one day, Mishka Frith responds to me. And so I get him on the show. And Mishka fills out the story that we only just had a little sliver of, of of what it was like living on that boat and, and a family of boats and how this, you know, the song opens up, young Mr. Moon flew away in the night 
with his best friend Magnus right by his side. Well, young Mr. Moon was Mishka, who was like three or four years old and lived on a boat called the Moon. And, and Magnus was his best friend at the time. And Magnus's dad is the one who built all the boats and all those Bermudans were living in St. Bart's. And so I pulled that whole story together. And it's one of my favorites because, you know, if it weren't for Mishka Frith, who I found in Hawaii, uh, then I wouldn't have that story. But I found him and it's there now. And it's for posterity's sake, the, 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 and, and for immortality now. You know, it's so cool because living in Key West, I've only been down here 16 years. Someone hears that and says, oh, only that's a long time, not compared to conks and, and, you know, family lineage that goes back and back and back. Mm-hmm. You were here during a time when Buffett was still running around in Key West. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever bump into each other? Did, have you met him in your Florida State days or did you meet him down here? Yeah, I finally met him in the 1990s in Tallahassee when I was in television and, and got backstage to do an interview. I actually ran the camera that night for one of our news people doing the interview. I got to, to meet him and took took a, a picture uh, that I've used quite a bit in the prom- promotion of my radio <laughs> show. But no, during the 70s, I never got, I, I'm sure I probably passed Asked him on Duval Street, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I got off on, on the city bus walking down to the La Concha, but I, I wouldn't have known it. But uh, but I did get to know, uh, I mean, Tom Corcoran, who is a, a sort of a compadre of Jimmy's, was the program manager at WKWF back then. Oh, well, yeah. a lot of fun tie-ins today, for real. And that's what I love talking about some of those who have, who have been around Ed Swift has great Jimmy Buffett stories if you can get him to tell them and he did tell me some Ed's in the book okay great Ed's in the book and Robin Smith Martin and his family Rob's a great guy great Jimmy Buffett stories that go back with that family that's why I love books and stories like yours to, to me Jimmy Buffett is just as much even though he's still living and doing great things is just as much Key West lore as Ernest Hemingway both are men I'm not comparing them morality or whatever, whatever people dig into, but historically both men who have done and seen things that most people don't even sniff in a lifetime. Right. And they both did it out of Key West. A lot, a lot of what they did uh, in their adult life came out of Key West or created or wrote as artists in their uh, respected uh, platforms. So it's pretty cool just to hear these stories from guys like you and you've done the research and talked to people who lived it and saw him. One of the fun things I'll, I always hear about and, and Bob Marley was running around down here some at one point and there's always this rumor or myth that Buffett showed up and played his first song at the chart room over you know over at Pier House is there truth in that do you talk about that in there where was Buffett's first how, how did he get here in Key West and where was his first performance at I don't know for sure but I would guess the the chart room was the first place he probably played in Key West uh, because his his universe was run out of out of the chart room back then the first people that he met Corcoran was a bartender uh, at that time uh uh, others who, I mean, everyone just sort of gravitated towards the chart room. So I'm, I'm almost certain that that had to be the first place. Uh, he also worked a place called Howie's Lounge, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, uh, long gone. Uh, and I talk about that in the book and, and whatever happened to Howie. Uh, and a lot of the book is about tying off loose ends of people who were part of Jimmy's life back then and whatever happened to them, you know. What, and so there's a lot of so-and-so died because he's oh. outlived them all. <laughs> You know, he turned 75 Christmas Day. He's a he's a Christmas baby. I had a trivia question for you. You, you blew that one for me. Okay, yeah, Christmas baby. We'll ask you the year in a minute. Um, so he just said 75. I can't do the math that fast anyways. But 
people see you do this book, Buffett Backstories, to do any book is not easy. Whether you want to write a book or try, everyone has this dream to write a book. You, you did one on someone you love and enjoy listening to, but how long did it take you from inception idea, working on this thing, getting it published uh, from start to finish? Six months. Okay. So not that long. I'm a, I'm a because of my background is, is broadcast, mm-hmm. I've learned to be a fast writer. <laughs> But you've been That's thinking about this. Bad. You've had this idea for some time, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. But 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 pulling it together quickly and formulating it in my mind and getting it in, in into print is it doesn't take long. It because I've just been trained over the years to to get it done quickly. So, if Buffett read the book or looked it over, he's got millions of fans, literally everywhere. What are you most proud of? What would you want him to take away from the book? Or does that even matter to you uh, in terms of just... No, because I didn't write it for Jimmy Buffett. Because mm-hmm. you know, I, I wish Jimmy Buffett would have written this book. Right. You know, because then you would have been right at the source. Uh, uh, you know, he's the one person who's not really in it because he doesn't do interviews for books because that's just not his thing. He, right. He believes he could write his own, his own story. He's a pretty good writer. He, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish he would have written this book, but it hadn't been done in this format. And I think it needed to be done. I needed to get it out of my brain. And I and so it's written for the fans who, who care about his music and that lifestyle that he's selling. And I think it answers a lot of questions that may have been out there. Like uh, what? Oh, well, give me whatever one. happened to, you know, really what happened to Phil Clark, the pirate from A Pirate Looks at 40. And so Carol Shaughnessy, who was his last girlfriend, she's a Key West public relations person. Um, because she was his last girlfriend, she came into possession of a lot of things after he died. So I was able to learn where it was that he died, what he was living under an alias in uh, in California. And, uh, you know, what, what alias was he working under? Uh, all those different things. Where was he born? That was in the death certificate. Uh, so little pieces of, of, of information like that. Um, the volcano song, you know, how did that really come about? It was Keith Sykes who went up and first saw the volcano and came back down. And there were these three local musicians who he says played everything in the key of F and he couldn't figure out why they were playing everything in the key of F. And so he turns to Jimmy in the studio and says, why don't we play something in F? And that's how the volcano song came about. Um, it's incredible. You don't have to be, I, it, Obviously, it's going to inspire Buffett fans, but you don't really have to be a Buffett fan to pick up Buffett backstories and really dig into history and cool stories. That, that's what's really I unique actually, about it. I actually listed it as a uh, music reference book in Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. So the day it went on sale, I was the number one music reference book in America. Hey, I like it. <laughs> there must not be many of them out there. <laughs> Uh, we're going to wrap up here in a couple minutes. We're speaking with Scott Atwell, Buffett Backstories author. The book's out now. Scott, how can people grab, the, you mentioned Amazon. Uh, if you're here in Key West, I'm sure there's different places that have it. But if you're out there listening yeah. across the digital world and radio world, how can people pick up Buffett Backstories? Yeah, Amazon.com if you're outside of Key West. But if you're in town, it's being sold at Books and Books. It's being sold at Kino Sandals. It's being sold at the Conk Train uh, store there on Front Street at Swift has a few. Um, it's being sold at the airport. Uh, the, the gift shops at the airport. Big poster. Right Big poster. Yeah. I had to invest a little money in the posters, but it's been worthwhile because they have been said that she calls me every couple of weeks says we need more books. So I'm trucking them over there. Uh, it's been fun. It really has been. I think I've been just really encouraged by, uh, I, I, or I think it's, I've been reinforced that the idea was legitimate, that people really get 
the need to understand these stories and what's behind them. Can you think of an, is there another artist? I'm sure there are, you know, obviously the Beatles are someone that have been probably, uh, you know, written about ad nauseum about everything behind their songs, but there's only a handful of people who you would really care about what's really behind the song. I don't think people realize when it comes to Jimmy Buffett, everyone knows who he is. And I, I've, he's allowed us as keys weekly, key West weekly to do an interview once with him. Very gracious, just as down to earth and as cool as they come. So when it comes to that, I don't think people realize the magnitude when it comes to living artists, he may be the highest grossing net worth. You're talking about Paul McCartney. He's, Everyone. He is he's, up there. He, yeah, he's, he's worth half, half a billion dollars. 900 million is what Google says and Wikipedia. Oh, is that what they're saying it is now? 900 mil. But if it's, if, yeah. So to be that, his enterprises and what he's done is just amazing. And I'm not putting a value on net worth, but to show you how creative and out of the box that so he was doing it before people were doing it. And here he is in the ranks or above people like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and Rolling Stones. I don't know who's, you know, we're comparing huge sticks here, but pound for pound, Mick Jagger, Jimmy Buffett, that, that success is parallel right there together. If he's not, if Buffett's not more, it's amazing. He of course licenses the name Margaritaville. And the last report I had was that name was bringing in $2 billion a year in revenue for the people who were licensing it. Yeah, it's something, it's a phenomenon. So we're going to wrap up with Scott Atwell, Buffett Backstory. Scott, here's what we're going to do. To wrap the show up, I'm putting you on the spot. We're going to do Jimmy Buffett trivia. Okay. So, so <laughs> I, I, you've already told me his birthday. I feel like you're just going to smash. I wanted to stump you on something. So we talked about his net worth, $900 million, according to the internet. The internet never lies. Never so lies. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. Uh, date of birth. You said, what's his birthday? Jimmy Buffett birthday. Uh, is it 45? Close. 1946. But you already said Christmas Day. Oh, you, that's right. It would have had to have been. A, uh, an, yeah. Okay. You, you get bonus points. You okay. said it already. Uh, where did Jimmy Buffett spend his freshman year in college? Auburn University. Where did he graduate from? Southern Mississippi. Oh, man. You're crushing these. First album ever. Down to Earth. What year? 1970. Man, are you looking at my sheet? This is crazy. <laughs> okay, obviously his highest ranking song on Billboard was Margaritaville. How high did it ever get? It never didn't get, it didn't get to number one. No. Three, four? Close. It was number eight. Okay. Right, I got you on one. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, last part. Was he in this movie or not? So this okay. is yes or no. Was okay. he in this movie or not? Repo Man. No. He was. Okay. <laughs> uh, Talladega Nights. No. He was not. Good call. Old School. No. Correct. Congo. Was Jimmy Buffett in Congo? The movie Congo. Yes. Correct. The movie Cobb. About Ty Cobb, I assume. Was he, was he in the movie Cobb? No. He was in Cobb. Rocky Four. No. No. <laughs> Cannonball Run. No. Oh, I thought you would bite on that. It was not in Cannonball Run. <laughs> Classic movie. Jurassic World. Yes. Yes. He was. He I wrote a song it. for it. Yeah. The movie Cocktail. Ah. Uh, I'm going to say yes. He was not. Okay. I, I set that one up to stump you. Uh, <laughs> last two movies was Jimmy Buffett in the movie Hook. Yes. Correct. Was Jimmy Buffett in the movie Break Into Electric Boogaloo? 
No. no. <laughs> but I'll tell you this much, Turbo Ozone, they should have had Jimmy Buffett breakdancing in that movie. If he's listening, he just turned it off. He's like, no. <laughs> Scott Atwell, Buffett, <laughs> Buffett Backstories. It's a great book. I've enjoyed it, and I appreciate you coming on and talking about it. 50 years, 50 songs from Scott Atwell, Buffett Backstories. This is the Florida Keys Weekly Show and Podcast. Scott, thanks for coming on. And again, where can people find the book? Amazon.com, I think, is the quickest for anyone who really wants to get it fast. There you go. We'll have you on again. You're a local guy. And what does WKWF stand for? It stands for um, Weekly Keys, Weekly Fun. Wonderful Key West, Florida. And you just learned something today, my friend. Man, I'm probably supposed to know that. I get in trouble. Rob Conley <laughs> is their sort of tech guy, and he tells me things to say for the radio, and I get it wrong all the time. And then the Spotswoods and Rob just shake, they just shake their head at me. and uh, But they know I'm, I'm thick-skulled, so I get away with it. But it's a pleasure to have you on, Scott. Scott Atwell, Buffett Backstories. And it is a pleasure if, if you are listening on WKWF AM 1600 or FM 103.3, I appreciate it. Or 93.7 NRG. Thank you all in Radio Land for listening. And if you're listening to this and want to hear more of it or our other shows, go to keysweekly.com. Check us out there. Find the podcast and definitely enjoy a copy. Grab a copy. It's Christmas time. Great stocking stuffer. Buffett Backstories. 50 years, 50 songs. Folks, great show. Good times. We will see you or hear you next week.